Welcome to another episode of Undisciplined, a collaborative podcast between the African and African American Studies program at the University of Arkansas and KUAF. The podcast provides a holistic understanding of complex issues that affect our interconnected world. Taking the interdisciplinary approach of African and African American Studies to the classroom, into the community, onto the airwaves, and beyond. I am your host, Dr. Karee Banton, and for this fifth season, I have a new co-host, Nenevi Tony. Now let's get into it. Thank you for agreeing to take over um, the uh, to do this interview slot on such short notice. Right. We had scheduled another scholar, a Nigerian writer who is part of the Writers at Risk program here, and something came up last minute, and I was like, you know, it would be a good opportunity for graduate students. Any opportunity to articulate your research yes. and clear out the cobwebs, <laughs> you know, <laughs> have, have a clear picture of what it is you think that you're doing okay. um, is a good opportunity, right? It, yeah. it gives you a level of fluency, uh, with your research, plus circulate it, people will start like associating that research with you, okay. and mm-hmm. you know they might even send you things, okay. yeah. send you question or. But mm-hmm. you you articulating it over and over, taking opportunities to present on it, like conferences or even this kind of a podcast setting, okay. would help you to like clearly express what it is that you're doing and to think about it in deeper and me- more meaningful ways. Yeah. yeah. So I am very happy that you agreed today. I'm um, also very happy to have me on board. Okay. And I appreciate uh, you recognizing me and wanting to know more about what I want to do. Well, you're very, one thing that I've been very impressed about you, um, you know, just from meeting you earlier in the semester and seeing you around is how um, you're, how, how much initiative you express, like you're a go-getter, um, you ask questions, yeah. um, you know, uh, and I, that tells me a lot about students when they're not, they're passionate about something, you're going to ask questions, you're going to ask for help, they know that mm-hmm. people are there to help them, and you've certainly taken up that opportunity. Other students, I have to go and pull them out of their <laughs> houses and like, you know, I'm available yeah. to ask questions. But yeah. you have done quite the opposite, and I've been very impressed with you thus far. I appreciate that. So Thank you should you. be proud of yourself. Thank All you. right, so you know this is uh, Dr. Banton and Nenebi Tony. That's your countryman, so you need he needs no introduction. Yeah. But I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, um, just to tell us who you are, where you're from. How did you find yourself to Northwest Arkansas? All right, um, my name is Kenneth Tego. I'm from Ghana. I'm a Ghan by tribe, and I school in the University of Cape Coast in Ghana. Um, I like history. I, I'm very passionate about history, and I studied history during my undergraduate level. And well, with my passion in history, I decided to further my education at the highest level and pursue a master's degree. And through my personal research, I found the University of Arkansas. And I was very much enthused by the history program that they have in their masters. So I contacted um, Professor uh, Todd Cleveland, and I inquired about the department. And I put in an application, and 
me being lucky, I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> You're not lucky. Yeah. You're prepared. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're qualified. Right. Um, <laughs> I was kind of selected to be part of the master's program, and that brought me here to the United States and to Northwest Arkansas. Yeah. Oh, wow. So how are you finding Northwest Arkansas and the university? Well, uh, I like the culture here so far. The people are accommodating, um, lovely people around. And I also like the university because um, the program that I'm into is very innovative and also helps me to bring out my best by researching more mm -hmm. and also challenging me to be more than what I can do. So I, I appreciate it, yes, and I'm enjoying it so far. Okay. Hey, so let's go back to Ghana a little bit. Right. You say you're a Ghan, which means that you are from which part of Ghana? I'm from Accra. Accra. But my village is Jamestown. Jamestown. Yes. Um, I can't. I feel some way you're describing Jamestown as a village because <laughs> exactly. Jamestown is so urban. It's one of the most urban places of yeah. Ghana. Yeah, it's true. Um, Jamestown actually is a Ghan village, but it happened to be situated in the central part of our capital. I want to you point know. this out. So when a Ghanaian says village, it means their hometown. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, his hometown, hometown happened to be in the capital city. In the city. capital city, yeah. The Ghan people are from the capital. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that is where we are from. So it's like my village is in, is in a city. That is how it is because of urbanization. Yeah. Uh -huh. I want to ask you, so. this, since you say you study history, why is Jamestown called Jamestown? Because the English, the name is not a... Ghanaian name, right? Well, yes, you're right, because Jamestown is called Jamestown because uh, we have what was called the British Accra, mm -hmm. and the British settled in Jamestown, mm. and they named the town uh, after King James of England, so mm. that was how come we have the name Jamestown. Yeah. Yes, um, the, the Dutch also were in uh, what, what we call uh, Dutch Accra, where today is where Osha Fort is found. Mm -hmm. And then we have the Jamestown Fort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when you go to uh, Ghana today, the whole place is called Accra, but the place where the British settled was what was called uh, Jamestown. Mm. Yeah, yes. Wait, Osha Fort is close to Jamestown. It's very close to Jamestown. It's just... I always, thought was, yeah, <laughs> I always thought Oshata Fort was in Jamestown. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. yeah. What about Christenberg Castle? The Christenberg Castle is a little suit. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, but today people normally refer to the whole place as Jamestown, Jamestown. Um. But historically, um, the British settled where they called the British Accra. So that's where they took over the whole uh, uh, Gold Coast and, yes. and kind of their whole African dynasty. Yes. That's where they made that place, so the when the Dutch <laughs> actually when the Dutch left, they took over the Dutch possession in Oshatown. Mm. Okay. Yes. Mm, okay. That would happen. Yes. Oh wow. So uh, what was what was the uh, the Gaz reaction to all these encroaching Europeans? Are there any stories of resistance? There must be. Yeah, there were instances of um, uh, resistance, particularly during the period of the poll tax ordinance, mm -hmm. where the people were taxed by the British. Mm -hmm. To kind of um, undertake some developmental projects for them by giving them potable water, by constructing roads, schools, and all that. But the people realized that the British were not fulfilling the promises that they gave them. So the Ghana communities, in some cases, rebelled against the poll tax collectors. So there were instances of resistance. 
there were even instances where some gun chiefs like Kobrani Boni mm. standing mm. against the British uh, colonial system because they felt that the British were encroaching on their authority because they saw themselves, the traditional chiefs saw themselves as the rightful leaders of the people. But then they realized that the British were kind of taking control over the affairs. So Koblani Boni, in fact, was um, a gun chief who, uh, what do you call it, um, mobilizes people to boycott British activities. And mm. even Dr. Kwame Nkrumah also learned from his ideas. And that also influenced Dr. Kwame Nkrumah's idea to also declare what was known as positive action mm. later on in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Kobla, uh, New Kobla Boni already organized the people. That was in 1948, right? Yeah, 1948. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. Wow, that's, that's, that's amazing. So can you tell us a little bit about growing up as a gar boy? Uh, you know, why didn't you go to Legon? I went to Legon. <laughs> you went to Cape Coast? Yeah, I went yeah. to Cape Coast. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I can say this because I'm a gun, <laughs> technically, because I'm from Ada. Guns are not known for traveling, right? right? They, they yeah. only live within the four corners of Accra. Mm. They, the farthest they'll travel is go to the uh, south and yeah. come back. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. But then you went to high school outside Accra. Accra. And Where did you go? <laughs> I went to my high school in um, Eastern Region. Okay. At, uh, a place called in Sawam. Okay. There's a, a, a town within a town called Adwajiri. That is where uh, this school is found. Uh, St. Martin's Senior High School. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is where it is located. So I school in St. Martin's. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, well, when I was in junior high school, I've stayed all my life in Accra. I was mm-hmm. kind of bored staying my, all my life in Accra. So I wanted to go out, use school as an opportunity to see other places. Mm-hmm. So that inspired me to choose a school outside Accra. Mm-hmm. And I chose St. Martin's. And I was enrolled in that school. Okay. And after my senior high school education, I also wanted to know more about Cape Coast because I, I also studied history during my senior high mm-hmm. education. Yeah. And I realized that a lot of our history was centered okay, around Cape Coast. And the castles. And the castles. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I I had an opportunity to even go on a sketching to the castles in Elmina and then Cape Coast mm-hmm. when I was uh, in senior high school. So yeah. going back there to study uh, was some kind of a motivation t- to me because I also wanted to study history mm-hmm. at the university level. So I felt that studying it in a place like Cape Coast would give me that's uh, interesting. Yes. Were you in Casford Hall? Yes, Hall? I was in Casford Hall. No oh. way! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a Casfordian, yes. Oh my goodness! Yeah, oh yeah I'm a proud Casfordian, yes. Oh, yes. wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. how did I guess that? Yeah. So I have like a very good gen- friend who yeah. is an oh. administrator in Casford Hall. Wow, wow, yeah, wow, yeah, wow, yeah. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> so as someone who is from Accra, <laughs> yeah. the current capital, yeah. but... It seems like other parts of Ghana, when people hear about the the the, the Gold Coast mm-hmm. and even current day, the other parts of Ghana that loom large, you know, Kumasi with the big Ashanti Empire. Yeah. Oh my God, you can't tell Ashanti is <laughs> anything, right? Um, uh, you know, Elisha, of course, you know, went on yes. study abroad and he kept telling me, Dr. Patas, see, see, we took over <laughs> all of Ghana. <laughs> Ashantis were everywhere. <laughs> But um, as you were saying that the history, the history, you know, it seems like Cape Coast, because of the transatlantic slave trade, 
looms larger in Ghanaian history. Yes. And you as somebody, I'm very even shocked that, because mm -hmm. most Africans are either engineers or lawyers or mm -hmm. doctors or embarrassment to the family. Yeah, so yeah. I'm very shocked and impressed that you <laughs> <laughs> were interested in history and you got to study history. And as somebody from Accra going to, to Cape Coast, this place that is immersed in such big world movements, what was your impression? Well, um, Cape Coast, uh, as I said earlier, was a point, I would say, the epicenter of uh, our Ghanaian history when it comes to colonization, the slave trade, and all that. So that was kind of a big motivation for me mm -hmm. to go to the University of Cape Coast and pursue my education over there because as somebody who had a passion in history, I felt that studying there would get me closer to the primary sources that I would like to study Wow. From. Yes. Ah. So... Even sometimes when school closes, like we will go on a vacation, yeah. I mostly have the leisure to go around, keep mm -hmm. close, visit places like uh, seeing slave markets, the slave, uh, seeing um, slave river where the slaves had their last bath, and go to some of the forts and castles around just to get connected to some of these heritage sites and also help me in understanding the history of Ghana, yes. So what was your impression of it? Like, how did you come to understand Cape Coast, the transatlantic slave trade, all those um, slave castles, uh, Anamabel, you know, that we don't talk about a lot, um, the Cape Coast castle, Elamina. You know, what was your impression? What was your experience? I mean, I'm from the diaspora. When I go in there, it's like yeah, cry yeah. fest, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even though I'm a historian. What was your impression? Yes, um, my first uh, kind of experience that I had was when, I visited uh, Cape Coast when I was in senior high school. Mm -hmm. Actually, for the first time that I visited this historical site, I felt some kind of emotional about. Really? Yes, I was very much more emotional because I saw the pictures mm -hmm. in, in your textbooks books, and stuff. In textbooks, but I didn't have the opportunity to have a direct contact with it. So mm -hmm. the first time that I went there, when I was in senior high school. How old were you? I was by then 18 years. Okay. Yes, so I felt that emotional when I heard the narrative and also seeing the dungeons for the first time mm -hmm. and seeing the, the scratches on the dungeons that I was told were the fingernails of our ancestors, mm -hmm. the slaves that were kept there. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of uh, gave me a picture of a horrific moment that they went through. Mm -hmm. And being a dungeon also have smelling the blood, the, the sweat, and some of the excreta that has kicked down the dungeons yeah. also kind of gave me some chills because over a long period of time, these things are there and I felt some kind of connection with it and very emotional about it because I was standing right on top of the blood and sweat and mm -hmm. as of my ancestors. Mm. Yeah, so I, I was, it was a very kind of emotional moment for me. However, I, I also learned more about the slave trade and also got to understand a little bit about our history. But going back again to Cape Coast as a history student during my undergraduate studies, I had a more in insight into the topic because I had the opportunity to take some courses that dealt deeply into the transatlantic slave trade, uh, colonialism and all that. So it kind of broadened my understanding of the colonial system that used to exist in the Gold Coast, the transatlantic slave trade, and that even kind of inspired me to research more into um, that part of history 
and also give me an interest into diasporan history. Mm. Yes, so I'm somebody who is also very passionate when it comes to Pan-African history or diasporan history Mm -hmm. because um, I followed the history of Ghana from colonialism to independence and I kind of liked how Pan-African movements, Mm -hmm. how people of African descent like Marcus Garvey, Mm -hmm. Du Bois kind of even influenced our very own Kwame Nkrumah to kind of liberate and it gave me an understanding that without these ideas of these aspirants, we cannot even liberate ourselves from Africa because if Kwame Nkrumah had not come to America or had not traveled he to He went England, to HBCU. Yes, yeah. to, 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 to have direct contact with these Pan-Africans that inspired him. I don't think uh, Ghana would have achieved independence in the 1950s mm-hmm. because if you look at the liberation movement, it started from outside, not from within. Yeah. It started from people who went out to learn about ideas that made them kind of uh, clear the myths surrounding white supremacy mm-hmm. or white superiority over the, mm-hmm. the African. It was yes. people like you. Yes. Yeah, it was students like you (laughs) who went to study um, and form student unions in universities, so-called in the belly of the beast, right? Um, They were supposedly to be trained as administrators of their colonies, right? But they got caught up (laughs) in these ideas. You know, when I teach my African and African-American studies class, I often tell the students that... um, you know, it's good that we have this class together for exactly what, yes. you, what you're saying to kind of link these movements, right? Mm-hmm. When we study things like the African-American civil rights movements, right. because we study it often within American contexts, we don't get to see its international linkages, mm-hmm. right? How, how um, activists, Pan-African activists, how African-Americans went to Ghanaian independence celebration and good. Nixon and his people thought they were African-Americans and they're like, no, we're still not free. In Mississippi, we're from Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we are still waiting for freedom over yeah. there. This was yes, Nixon and Martin people. Luther King. Yes, yeah. uh, Richard Wright, all these yes. people who were in Ghana. So it's very good when we can break down the walls and we can see all these things, how they naturally came together without the artificial boundaries that are if erected by nationality. Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to ask more about the linkage to the diaspora right which part of that did you spend more time researching more on well um when it comes to the liberation of um, africa as from colonialism one thing that i realized in my studies during my undergraduate studies is that uh people like Kwame Nkrumah, Namdi Azikiwe, Hastin Banda who had a chance to travel abroad to study abroad in the United States of America and in England kind of got into the ideas of uh, people like Du Bois, uh, Marcus Garvey, and uh, George uh, yeah. uh, I, like, I like to say Du Bois is Ghanaian because he died <laughs> as a Ghanaian, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one thing I realized is that these students were kind of inspired. Yeah. And that is how I got to have a, a, a sense of how Local people from Africa traveling abroad to kind of go study had a linkage to these international figures that I mentioned, like 
Marcus Garvey yeah. and the boys. We will inspire them. Yeah, because anytime you study history, you realize that even outside of just the concept of Africans and the diaspora, there's the world history is kind of linked in a way, right? Yeah. So it was, for example, the British being driven away technically by uh, Napoleon from Europe was why they wanted to capture the rest of the world and make it their own. Mm-hmm. And so that's how they ended up trying to be too vigilant, to be, to grow an empire outside of Europe All and right. make the world theirs. And there was resistance in Ghana from other people like oh, Nekwabna, yeah. Bonnie. Bonnie and the rest, yes. right? Yeah. So, what is your focus on research currently? Um, my focus is to um, study the he- uh, research more into the history of the Black Bombers, that this Ghana's uh, amateur boxing, boxing team. Yeah. But then... Wait, do you pick boxing because you're from Jamestown? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm a boxing fan. Okay. I'm, I'm a what, what's the connection between Jamestown and boxing? Yeah, the connection between Jamestown James and boxing is okay. that um, when you come to, or go to Ghana, you realize that it actually the Ghana people in the colonial period had this uh, group fighting called Asafu Achele. Oh. Yes, Asafu Achele. Uh, Asafu means warriors. Mm. And Achele means uh, fist punch. Mm. Yes. So um, there was this um, Ghana pugilistic uh, Sports, which was to show masculinity, mm-hmm. which was to show mental strength, but above all, it was also to kind of show respect. Right. Because whoever wins, I call some kind of respect, and whichever group that wins that competition kind of uh, have a respect, and everybody respects their community. So this kind of um, sports was already among the people of the gang. But then during the colonial period, uh, the British in the 1920s, already have their form of Western boxing. So this Asafu Achele that I mentioned was kind of um, very violent. Mm-hmm. However, it was sports. But the colonial masters it's at like the, the time... the gladiators. It was violent they, by sports. Yes. The colonial government at the time did not uh, much endorse the, this kind of sport by among the people. However, it got to a time where they started to kind of incorporate their Western form of boxing. So it was kind of entwined. Mm-hmm. And that was how come Jamestown became, or I'll say Jamestown and then Bukum yeah. became the hub of boxing. And genetic, I would say genetically, it was already in the people. Really? The mm-hmm. spirit of fighting is already within not the, the Ashantis? Did y'all, not, did not, y'all not, compete not, against not. the Ashantis? <laughs> Do not come on this on podcast Actually, and cap. Actually, the Ghana's won the war against the Ashantis, right? Yeah, we once, we once, we once defeated a, 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 yeah, the, the empire. Yes, we yeah, once, the Kantam, was is it the Kantamanso war? Uh, is it the war war? Or? No, that, not those ones. <laughs> uh, but yeah. there was a time that the Ghana people and then the Akwemu kind of formed an alliance mm-hmm. against the Asante people and they won. Are Akwemu Akan? Yeah, were Akan, but okay. then the Akwemu were at the time some kind of vassal. Okay. The vassal state under, to the to the to yes, the to the Ashantis. To the Ashantis. Then the Akwemu and the Gan people kind of formed this alliance to kind of protect their trading routes. Okay. At the time, so during this period, the Gan also had a victory over the mm-hmm. Akan people. And, uh, yes, and. That is how come the Akan people even refer to Agma people as Inkran. Mm-hmm. 
mm. because to them we have this fighting spirit that when you fight one you fight more everybody comes. yeah stay tuned for more on discipline after this commercial break i'm denisha simpson and i'm joy mcgowan and, and we, we are, are the, the co-host to, to the, the Resilient Black, Black Women podcast. Our podcast is all about demystifying mental health for Black women, women of color, and women everywhere. You can learn more about our work with our nonprofit and our podcast by visiting resilientblackwomen.org. You can also listen to our podcast at KUAF.com or subscribe to our podcast on any streaming platform. Welcome back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they kind of gave us um, a description to the ant in the Akan dialect when we say Nkran. Uh, Nkrani. Nkrani means ant, an army of ants. Mm. Yes, and that is how my people, the Ghan people, that is how they move. When you fight one, they move to you like that. Oh. Yeah, they keep moving to you. So they kind of um, described us in that way, and even that name became uh, the name that the the Akan people used to refer to the city or the town of the Ghan people. And even today, when you go to Ghana, they still refer to Accra as Inkran. Ah, yes. okay. So, so they had that reputation for boxing. For boxing. Yeah. It's already within the, the, the social culture of the yeah. people. So that is. I just said this. There's this the stereotype among the guns that if you if a gun person is telling you I'll hit you, that means they've already hit you. Yes. <laughs> but they are saying I'll hit you by already hitting yes. you. <laughs> so the gun people kind of already have this. Uh, and also, Ghanaians, most of our boxing legends are guns. All of majority of them. Yeah. I would say. Uh, so because of this, as a factual which used to exist in the gun community, uh, the British kind of incorporated their style of Western boxing. And the colonial government at the time made it official. And that is how uh, boxing kind of started developing within Accra and within the towns of Jamestown, Oshafort, and other parts of Accra, yes. So how did you come to this research idea? I mean, you were studying the <laughs> slave trade and in Cape Coast. It seems like you were drawn down there for that interest. Why did you then move away from that <laughs> early period to kind of study this. What is it about this topic that fascinated you? Did you find a certain document in the archives or what is it that drove you to this topic? Well, um, I would say I grew up in Accra. Mm -hmm. I was already aware of um, the sports that used to exist. And growing up as a very young boy, I used to hear about Zuma Nelson fighting at dawn. Yeah that my parents will not sleep. They'll wake up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's because and of then, time zone difference. Yeah, you used to fight zone, in the U.S., yes. mm. so it will be broadcasted so, at dawn. So yeah. Azuma Nelson's fight was kind of a, a big thing, a big deal. I'll be sleeping and I'll hear people screaming mm. at dawn. So I'll just wake up from my, my sleep and I'll come to the hall and I'll see my parents there watching Azuma Nelson box. Who is Azuma Nelson? Why was he so popular? Yeah, Azuma Nelson actually yeah, is a boxer from Ghana. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, he's also from, um, what do you call it, Jamestown. And he's from, a it's from he, when you trace his lineage, you realize that he's from a group of uh, Ghana community that were once uh, retainees from Brazil. Uh, they are called the Tabon people. Mm. The Tabon people were kind of retainees, that is, slaves uh, that retained to the Gold Coast. 
But then they settled among the Ghan people, and today they have been assimilated into the Ghan culture. And Azuma Nelson grew up in the Ghan community mm-hmm. in Jamestown, and among this Tabon community, who mm-hmm. are today part of the Ghan people. Mm-hmm. And he learned the art of boxing in Jamestown, so he was kind of a hardcore boxer. Yeah. And in the history of uh, Ghana's boxing, he, he kind of put Ghana on the map. And won some remarkable bouts. Yeah. So he's the, the Ghanaian Rocky. Yes. And, <laughs> yes. And, wait, well, arguably, is the, I'll say Azuma Nelson is the um, greatest of all time when it comes to boxing in Africa, arguably. Mm. Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer on the, in, I think it's in Virginia where the Boxing Hall of Fame is. Yes. Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So you were intrigued by that because you grew I up was, by I that. Was intrigued by that. that. And when I went to the uh, University of Cape Coast, too, I had the opportunity to work closely with Dr. Uh, Professor Devalera Bucci, mm-hmm. who was also my supervisor. In fact, uh, during my final year, I was kind of thinking about what kind of project I'm going to write. So I once went to him in his office, don't, not knowing what to write about, to have a conversation with him. But then I realized that he wrote uh, his um, thesis on Azuma Nelson and the history mm-hmm. of uh, the social history of boxing in Ghana. And I also liked him. I took him as a mentor. So I took some kind of inspiration from him to also look into that uh, area of research. Actually, I researched on uh, Joshua Clotty. I wrote on the biography of Joshua Clotty and a brief history of his, uh, uh, the history of boxing in Bukum wow. for my undergraduate uh, mm-hmm. studies. Mm-hmm. And in that research, I realized that um, amateur boxing had not been kind of researched into a lot mm-hmm. in, the, in the historiography. So, and I also realized that the Black Bombers, which is the Ghana amateur boxing team, mm-hmm. had provided a foundation for many of the great boxers that emerged in Ghana. Mm-hmm. However, not much had been researched about their activities. So there's a gap in the historiography. Yes, These yeah, stories yeah. were yes, being told. I found out that gap in the historiography. So in that sense, I, I kind of also read uh, Professor Butri's work, and I realized that Kwame Nkrumah, um, chose the name. He chose the name Black Bombers. This he chose deliberately to kind of um, uh, glorify blackness. So that kind of also um, gave me an idea that the Black Bombers would have some kind of linkage with Pan-Africanism because looking at the the, the 90s, I mean 1950s, when it was uh, established, already Pan-Africanism had already started. Yeah. And, and Kwame Nkrumah, in uh, his school days, studied abroad. And he had so many contacts with these uh, Pan-Africanists. And he kind of chosen a name, Black Bomber, or Black Bombers for, for the Ghana amateur boxing team kind of give me uh, an idea that there is some element of Pan-Africanism here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because they were the Brown Bombers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, yes the, What's the connection? Or you, can you extrapolate 
with your understanding of Dr. Nkrumah as this Pan-Africanist mm -hmm. and that there exist the brown bombers. Tell us who are the brown bombers and what you think Dr. Nkrumah was trying to do by naming these Ghanaian boxers the black bombers. Very good. And now, when, when you look at, uh, even in the, in the autobiography of Kwame Nkrumah, he did mention that um, Marcus Garvey was his mentor. Yeah. So yeah. He said that's the greatest piece of writing yes. he's ever read, and <laughs> that Garvey had the most influence yes. on him as he a Pan-Africanist. He was a Garveyite. So, mm -hmm. And he kind of, the, the, he choosing black, he took it from Marcus Garvey's Black Stars, mm -hmm. the ship line that Marcus Garvey... The Black Star had, Line. Yes, the Black Star Line that he established. So he took an inspiration there, and he decided to take the name Black Bombers. Mm -hmm. But the bombers, the bomber aspect of the name too, I think he took inspiration for Joe Louis. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. He took the inspiration from Joe Louis, who was also making waves in the 1940s mm -hmm. in the United States. Right. And in fact, uh, Joe Louis kind of also um, helped in projecting the image of blackness and black masculinity in the 1940s. And Kwame Nkrumah was a student in the United States. So right. All of this was happening. happening yes. So mm -hmm. he kind of uh, took an inspiration from this, and he made the black and then the bomber together mm -hmm. to kind of name Ghana's amateur boxing team with, in a deliberate attempt to kind of glorify blackness, right. to kind of show uh, African pride, to also kind of show African renaissance during the period that he suggested the name Black Bombers for the Ghana amateur boxing team. So, and when one looks into the formation of the Black Bombers, he even uh, appointed Roy Ankara, who in the 1950s, particularly 1951, uh, won a Commonwealth bout against uh, Roy Clayton. Mm -hmm. uh, now, Ronnie Clayton, uh, sorry, it was Ronnie Clayton rather in 1951, in a Commonwealth uh, featherweight boxing bout. Now, this was a period that Ghana was under the colonial rule of the British. So, Ronnie Clayton in this aspect signified the British colonial system. Right. Mm. And Roy Ankara also represented the colonizers. So Roy Ankara's uh, victory over Ronnie Clayton also kind of um, projected him as a hero within Africa and even beyond Africa. And in fact, after his victory, there was this um, Calypsonian musician from the West Indians known Probably as... Probably Trinidadian, yes. yes. He, 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 was, he was called um, Lord Kitchener. Lord Kitchener, Lord yes. Lord Kitchener even composed a song and he kind of mentioned the Black Flash. Yes. And he kind of... Uh, that Black Flash that he mentioned in his song was to kind of eulogize Roy Ankara for his mm -hmm. um, mental strength and his swiftness that wow. he showed in his boxing skills. So... Roy Ankara later became known as the Black Flash. That became his nickname. And Kwame Nkrumah, in a deliberate attempt, appointed Roy Ankara as the first coach of the Black Bombers. Mm. Because Roy Ankara's victory over Ronnie Clayton kind of brought about a sense of pride for people of Africa and people of African descent right. all around the world. And also helped in clearing the myth of white superiority mm -hmm. over the black race. Mm -hmm. So Kwame Nkrumah already knew about the Pan-African figure that Roy Ankara had. Right. And he also being a Pan-Africanist and wanting, and wanting the black bombers 
to kind of have an international recognition, he put Roy Ankara as the coach of the Black Bombers to kind of also nurture new talents in the Gold Coast. Wow. And in this period, in the 1950s, it was also a deliberate attempt by Kwame Nkrumah to also use sportsmen as ambassadors in pushing his Pan-African ideas. Mm -hmm. mm. He used both sportsmen and artists. Yes. Yeah. Mm, that is so fascinating. So, you know, you've mentioned various aspects of um, the Black Bombers, but I am most, you know, and, and this is quite telling about uh, Kwame Nkrumah's agenda, right? Yeah. And how do you combat white supremacy on this kind of a playing field? This is not the political, uh, I mean, even though this is very much politicized, right? This is in sports, similar to like, you know, West Indians have done it in cricket, yeah. right? The fire in Babylon, when they mm -hmm. take on England in test mm -hmm. matches, right? They've done it in other kinds of sports, in football here in the United States. Yeah. So in boxing, right? We're, you know, you've talked a lot about Cape Coast and the black body being enslaved. Mm -hmm. And now through boxing, we're having ideas about the, 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 the vigor of the mind, not just the body, yes. right? Um, because as much as we think about boxing as a physical sport, it's also very much a mental one. What do you think about that aspect of, uh, you know, how... Boxing as a sport and, and um, is conceived and also the tactics used by Dr. Uh, Nkrumah. Well, Kwame um, Nkrumah, in my um, view, wanted to kind of empower Africans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he kind of promoting boxing was to kind of show the black masculinity, was to kind of show uh, the black mentality to, to kind of project that the African is not superior to the white man or the Europeans. So he kind of uh, promoted boxing by way of promoting nationalism and also promoting uh, the sense of Pan-Africanism mm -hmm. among the people of the Gold Coast and people of Africa. Yeah. So not only not only would Ghanaian people see him as their hero. Yes. But in the kinds of um, seeing somebody just in the ways that Americans see Rocky fight a Soviet yeah. <laughs> Union a or you know a fictional character <laughs> yes. in a movie can feel this enormous sense. You're in a movie and you're rooting for America and you're you know you're being drawn to this kind of a nationalistic feeling for this fictional character. Here is Dr. Nkrumah using this character too, who is very much a real person yes. um, in Ghana, where you can have the immediate feeling of knocking down an, an, an uh, uh, alleged opponent yes. and feeling pride in that as a, as a black person, regardless of the national boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yes. Regardless of the fact that they are a whole continent away, mm -hmm. if you're in Cuba, if you're in Jamaica, if you're in your black person in, in France or in England, you could feel connected to that person. Yes. And in fact, with uh, Nkrumah also establishing the black bombers and also using sportsmen as um, ambassadors for his Pan-African agenda, one realizes that even in 1964, Muhammad Ali 
had a tour in Africa, mm -hmm. and the first place that he visited was Ghana. Mm -hmm. That should tell us that Muhammad Ali already knew about the Pan-African activities that were going on in Ghana, mm -hmm. and as a, a, a very enormous figure in the boxing arena, he was already aware of the, the activities of the Black Bombers in Ghana at the time. Mm -hmm. So he coming to Ghana was also to connect to the Pan-African activities that was going on and also to kind of also project uh, Africa to the rest of the world that Africa has something good to offer. Right. Yes, because he mentioned when he came that he's coming to visit his brothers and sisters and also to make the world know that Africa is not all about elephants and lions. But yes. Then, <laughs> but then there are beautiful buildings, beautiful things about Africa, you know. So... I would say that yeah, the Pan-African activities of Kwame Nkrumah by using sports also helped in projecting Ghana to the world and also making Ghana some sort of a, an epicenter of Pan-Africanism mm -hmm. for people who believe in the Pan-African ideas to kind of what, connect with Ghana and also spread the Pan-African uh, ideas. Mm -hmm. Sort of a sidebar, I noticed that it wasn't included in the Ali movie but when Ali was in Ghana, at the same time, Malcolm X was in Ghana. Yes. Mm -hmm. That part yes. is in the movie. But what was in the movie is that Nkrumah tried to reconcile Malcolm X and Ali because they had a falling out at the time. They were both in Ghana. But I think they did, didn't they? Were they introduced by, um, um, what's their name? All God's Children Need Traveling Shoes. Um, Still I Rise, My Angelo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe they were. At, at, yeah. I think they tried to. I think the part of trying to reconcile. Well, yeah. not reconcile, but yeah. they were introduced and yeah. they understood that there was a, a mission. Oh. Yeah. That um and and Malcolm X had his role to play and MLK and had his role to play. Cool. It's like you know, my, uh, MLK is like, listen, if they think about me, they go to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I am the person that they don't want to see. Yeah. So they, they, you know, if you continue making your demands, mm -hmm. and you know, even though we tend to think about. Um, black people in these kinds of dichotomies, we don't realize that even though, you know, some so one person might not be at the table and they might be like, destroy the table. They yeah. might be working for the other ones to yeah. achieve success. It was the same thing with Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois, yeah. right? Yeah. That Booker T. Washington was secretly funding <laughs> things that Du Bois yeah. was involved with and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's a very fascinating thing to, to think about and read. Um, there's, you know, a, a number of works that I'm sure you've considered that looks at this from all different kinds of angles. Mm -hmm. We've had Kevin Gaines, African-Americans in Ghana. Um, we've had Penny Von Eschen's Race Against Empire, Black Americans and Anti-Colonialism, which kind of, you know, outline the, 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 the kinds of broad coalition of black scholars, artists, journalists, politicians, poor people who were very foundational uh, and very much um, aligned together in this kind of a Pan-Africanist cause. Some of them were involved in some kind of broader left coalitions. And, and out of this um, kind of um, kind of created this kind of international committee, um, the International Committee on African Affairs mm -hmm. um, of African-Americans were interested in Ghana and similarly Ghanaians who came here who were, because they were black, they had to go to HBCUs and they had to study alongside other black people who were 
uh, moving towards civil rights, who were anti-lynching, and all of those different kinds of ideas. So it's very remarkable what we can see once we kind of push aside the boundaries that we create yeah. with national... Um, yeah. Because yeah. even that, I was thinking about the fact that in the state of South Carolina, the first black person who have their bust put out by the state was a person of Ghanaian origin, I think Dr. Kwejiri Agri, mm. who founded a high school in Krumah went to. Yes, mm. yeah. that is Ghana Nationals. Mm. Yeah. Yes. So I was thinking about the fact that my research is very different from yours, right? <laughs> but in the constitution writing of Ghana, the person who wrote the constitution who led the uh, writing justice, Anand, right? Oh, you mean uh, it was Kwame Kuma went to. Uh, I mean the Achimota. 1992 constitution. Uh, he went to yeah, Achimota, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. 1992 constitution, uh, Justice Annan wrote, yeah. yeah. And Rollins, the president at the time, said he chose Justice Annan because Justice Annan likes boxing. And he felt like people, you know, people who were elite used to like golf and <laughs> tennis, and uh, boxing was the sport for the masses. Mm. So Justice Annan liking boxing meant that even though he was a judge, a Supreme Court judge, he was somebody who believed in the ideas that benefited the masses. Mm. I never thought about that from that angle. I mean, I've read it. It's in uh, Anand's biography. But when we were talking about the role of box, I realized that it's even bigger than just in the days of Nkrumah. It transcended even to the fact that Ghana is a democracy today mm -hmm. because Anand was able to convince Rawlings to transition from being the military ruler to becoming a democracy. Yeah. Mm, that is certainly fascinating. So since you have um, come to the United States, right, and with very much its interest um, in Pan-Africanism, right, and it's something that the diaspora goes to Africa for, right? Mm -hmm. We go there to be... Mm -hmm. <laughs> called brothers and sisters yeah. and sometimes they call us a bruni <laughs> <laughs> and it hurts very because much because it sounds like well. <laughs> <laughs> you know city I didn't of Hart that head until I moved here <laughs> city of Hartman wrote a whole book yeah. on that um, called lose your mother um, so since you have uh, come to the United States and exploring pan-africanism do you have any new thoughts or new ideas no not exactly uh, that I have new thoughts um no, I don't have any kind of new thoughts about Pan-Africanism. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I think uh, Pan-Africanism still exists. Mm -hmm. And all that we need to do is to kind of uh, energize the ideas of Pan-Africanism. Mm -hmm. Because uh, people of uh, African descent are not different from people of Africa. And we still have a common heritage to hold on to because we all countries are ancestry to Africa. So uh, there is all, only the idea of us having a sense of oneness and having a common identity of Africans. So mm -hmm. that I don't think, um, in my opinion, I don't think uh, I've had a different kind of uh, mm -hmm. idea. You mm -hmm. know? You feel um, what since you've been here, uh, have you like taken steps to like put that Pan Africanism into action in terms of maybe the kinds of organizations that you kind of yeah, explore uh, and look at and the yes, kinds uh, of work yes, that you? Yes, I, I have that in mind to kind of join some organizations that uh, that share the ideas of Pan Africanism. But I'll say I'm, I'm very new here, mm -hmm, of course, and yeah. uh, I've not really explored much to kind of uh, get involved in 
any Pan-African activity so far, mm-hmm. but I'm open to um, joining any kind of organization that uh, push this Pan-African agenda because uh, when you kind of read the history of Africa and liberation of Africa, it was this idea of Pan-Africanism that helped in liberating Africa. And in my opinion, we should hold on to it. Mm-hmm. Because Pan-Africanism, I see that uh, the soul, that is the soul of liberation. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it was based on Pan-Africanism that we had the OAU form, which is today the African Union. Right. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, I, I, I still think that the spirit of Pan-Africanism is kind of dying in the OAU, in the, OAU the African Union today. Right. Yes, because... Uh, the, the way that uh, the likes of Kwame Nkrumah, Julius Nyerere kind of upheld the principles of mm-hmm. Pan-Africanism, which liberated Africa, mm-hmm. uh, I don't see that kind of spirit being demonstrated by our current leaders in, uh, in Africa within the African Union. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that is also the mandate of Pan-African um, organizations to kind of um, push the agenda of Pan-Africanism and also create awareness mm-hmm about the need uh, uh, for Pan-Africanism to be upheld and to be revitalized because I, I think Pan-Africanism is, 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 the, is the tool that will help in breaking down any form of neocolonial um, system. But I'm wondering, the reason why I'm asking you is, you know, online these days, in this new period, we have all these diaspora wars. Yes. Right. <laughs> it's the it's the uh, all these different Africa and the diaspora are seemingly online. And I don't necessarily think this is um, any kind of a broad based thing. But I think people may think that just because things online may loom larger yeah. than they might seem to be. Yeah, for even and online, it's just bands, really. Just people it, having fun. It's banter, yeah. but it can. It seems like it's it's taken on this kind of a nefarious, kind of a um, very divisive um, uh, uh, posture. And because it's online, it spreads, right? Yes. Giving it this veneer of like, you know, this infectious veneer where the Nigerians or the African-Americans or the Jamaicans or versus, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that Pan-African spirit, you know, from going all the way back to Martin Delaney and Edward Blyden and Marcus Garvey and, you know, and Kruma and Azekiwi and Nayeri and even Michael Manley, mm-hmm. you know, all of those people like, you know, us as this generation that, you know, even though we seem to be more connected, that Pan-African spirit is no longer there. Yeah, um, I think uh, there is a problem with that uh, because uh, I think this modern generation um, does does not kind of uh, what I say that the younger generation that is coming up does not kind of read too much into the history of Pan Africanism to kind of um, understand what it stands for. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they they have to know that Pan Africanism is kind of the, the, the soul of black empowerment because that is what kind of um, empowers you to kind of have a sense of pride in you mm-hmm. because Pan-Africanism stands uh, in, a, in, 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 a, in a concept that you as an African or a person of African descent is not, is not inferior to any other race. It was a movement that was to kind of help in eliminating any form of domination over the African uh, race. 
And if we, people of the new generation today, are to kind of uphold these principles of Pan-Africanism, it will help us in kind of uh, clearing these boundaries that are not helping us to kind of connect, mm -hmm. to establish a front, uh, common front in kind of uh, liberating ourselves from the new colonial system that exists today. Okay, wonderful. Well, this has all been so very informative, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, I've learned so much. <laughs> yeah, it's very fascinating research. And I've lived in Ghana my entire life. I like boxing, but I didn't know a lot of the backstory you were sharing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and I've only watched Rocky movies, unfortunately. <laughs> 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 I know about the Joe Lewises and, of course, you know, the rumble in the jungle yes. and the role that Africa has paid, um, played for um, the diaspora, especially when it comes to boxing, but I'm sure that your research will add a critical edge to all these narratives of, yeah. you know, African Americans going to Africa to fight, and uh, and and Ghanaians also representing Africans in the diaspora. Um, when your manuscript comes out, and we very much look forward to it. Thank you. All Thank right. you so much. Yeah. Right. So I want to end by asking. I saw over the weekend. I saw you at uh, an African. Uh, was a Caribbean event, so yes, yes. <laughs> how have you socially have you enjoyed living here? Like getting to meet Africans from or people of African descent from other parts of the world. Socially, how have that been for you? Oh, um, it's been fun. I've uh, been able to kind of meet people from Jamaica, uh, people from Trinidad, uh, some people from other parts of South America, and yes, that's when I go to Dixon Street to kind of participate in... Uh, <laughs> he said participate. Yeah, participate in these events that are yeah. organized. So, yeah, it's been fun so far. And so far I've gotten to also know some African-Americans mm -hmm. around. Yeah, so I'm adapting to the culture yeah. and knowing people. Yeah. And how do you see your discipline, yourself or your research as undisciplined? What makes your research undisciplined? What makes it? Undisciplined. Undisciplined. My research? Mm -hmm. Un undisciplined? Yeah. Undisciplined is the name of this podcast. So the idea is combining several disciplines and you're not bound by the... As a historian, you're not bound by history. You use all kinds of different things to... You may use sociology, you may use literature, you may use music, you may use economics to kind of, you know, make your argument about um, these boxers. Oh, so... Is the question about how, let's say, how your research is undisciplined? It can be a fun. You can, you know, answer any way <laughs> <Yeah>. you want. <laughs> you can make it. You can have fun with it. Well, well, well. well uh, my research will kind of um, help people who have um, any form of like passion to mm -hmm. boxing mm -hmm. to kind of uh, appreciate how uh, boxing kind of help in projecting African um, pride. Yeah, and also kind of helping to show that uh, Africa is not kind of a, an inferior yeah. continent, but we also project Africa uh, as a powerhouse when it comes to uh, sports. Mm -hmm. Yes, and also kind of um, project Ghana as a hub of uh, Pan-Africanism. Yeah. All right. That's a good answer. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Tago. Um, thank you for coming to Undisciplined. Thank you for listening to another riveting episode of Undisciplined. This episode was hosted by Dr. Karee Banton and my co-host, Nenebi Tony. It was produced by Leah Grant. 
Undisciplined is a collaboration between African and African American Studies at the University of Arkansas and KUAF. It's available every other Wednesday at KUAF.com or on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow the African and African American Studies program and the Undisciplined podcast on our Instagram page at U-A-R-K underscore A-A-S-T or visit KUAF.com to listen to this and other episodes. If you like today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or anywhere you listen to your podcast and rate us. <laughs>